0: Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, these are familiar verses to us as we think about the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and I'm going to stop the reading about just, just part way through verse 34. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? How will this be? A few years ago, the Gaithers put out a song Entitled The Glorious Impossible. And uh, part of the the first part of the song, the lyrics read: See the Virgin is delivered in a cold and crowded stall. Mirror of the Father's glory lies beside her in the straw. He is mercy's incarnation. Marvel at this miracle. Or the virgin gently holds the glorious impossible you know there's so much about the christmas story that every time we hear or think about it ought to cause us to pause in wonder and reflection and at least think to ourselves wow such an amazing thing and there are so many miracles surrounding the Christmas story. Uh, if you trace through the different aspects and the different viewpoints of uh, of the Christmas story and that's basically what I want to do for a few weeks here on Sunday evening is look at the uh, at uh, the miracles surrounding uh, the story of Christmas but first of all this evening simply to begin by talking about the fact of the miraculous now I don't know if you have ever read this story and noticed this, but when Mary asks the angel this question, Mary said to Gabriel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's interesting when God gives explanations or God explains himself. For one, uh, God doesn't often Seem to explain himself. Um, and when he does, um, the explanation doesn't always explain very much. Um, you know, kids do this often. Um, how was your day today? Fine. Or if you happen upon uh, a a child, I, I'm not necessarily talking about any of those that live at my house, but uh, sometimes you happen upon a, a young person, young one. What are you doing? What do you expect to hear? Nothing. Nothing. Why did you do that? I don't know. Yeah, right. You may get a response, but it really doesn't explain much. Look at the explanation that Mary gets. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. As if upon hearing that, Mary is supposed to go, oh, now I understand, now I see. Um, to me, the explanation doesn't explain much at all. It's a response, but it doesn't do much to really give understanding. Uh, in other words, um, the angel could have simply said, well, it, it will be a miraculous Conception and a miraculous birth—that would have been just as good and just as accurate of an explanation as what was said. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and uh, will overshadow you. Um, Should have just said. Could have just said. It's it's going to be a miraculous uh, event, a miracle by way of giving additional evidence. Additional confirmation, the angel goes on in verse 36 to say uh, to Mary, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. This just further confirms the explanation that it's going to be a miraculous conception, a miraculous birth, and if you want Mary to check this out further and confirm that what I'm telling you is really going to happen. Go visit your cousin, and you will find uh, that uh, she has experienced her own miracle. Well, what is a miracle? What is a miracle? When we Say that something is a, a, a miracle, often nowadays we call things miracles or we hear people refer to something as a miracle that's, that's not really miraculous at all. It may be what we would call good fortune. For example, if any of you went shopping on Black Friday, did anybody go shopping on Black Friday? Oh, one of you did. Good for you. Um, I, I went um, one time a number of years ago, and someone, just a few days ago, someone told me about a, a good sale at a men's clothing store. There were supposed to be uh, big markdowns, and, and uh, you know, I wear dress clothes a lot of the times. And, and um, I said, basically, thanks, but no thanks. I had gone one time, uh, numbers of years ago, to a, to a Black Friday sale and decided that if I got out of there, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't go again on Black Friday. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pay a higher price if I have to. <laughs> Anyhow, if you did go out and you may say you went to the mall or you went to the outlet's uh, on Black Friday, and you got a good parking spot close to the front. You didn't have to walk very far. You might have said something like, "This is a miracle." We call things miracles that really aren't miraculous at all. Sometimes, what people mean by the miraculous is is what is referred to as a god of the gaps. Uh, scientists use this. Uh, terminology, uh, because truthfully, we find more and more that with the, with the growth of scientific understanding and discovery, that there are a lot more things that we understand about the nature of the world and the universe that we live in that years and years ago were not understood at all, and some things uh, were considered to be miraculous. And uh, this phrase, the God of the gaps, refers to any time where there's a gap between our understanding and what we observe, we might attribute that gap in our understanding to something divine or supernatural. Is that what we mean by the miraculous? Not at all. To quote William Craig, he says this, A miracle is an event which is not producible by the natural causes that are operative at the time and place that the event occurs. Does it make sense? Let's read it again. A miracle is an event which is not producible by the natural causes that are operative at the time and place that the event occurs in other words it's something that happens that shouldn't happen based on all of the ingredients that are that are in the mix miracles take place outside of science miracles take place outside of science now you might say wait a minute pastor are you saying that somehow or another, that they are in uh, 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 violation or in contradiction of science? No, I'm not saying that uh, they're uh, in contradiction of science or in violation uh, of natural law. I'm simply saying they are outside of the realm of science. There is much in our world that is outside of the realm of science. For example, ethics and morality cannot be explained scientifically. They are outside of the scientific realm. Similarly, the miraculous are outside of science, not a contradiction of science and not a violation of natural law. So an example might be if we would take, say, the law of gravity. And we understand that the law of gravity says that if I, I have my key ring here with my keys, um, And if I drop, or if I let go, the law of gravity says that, I will, uh, that that the keys will fall and will hit the floor. But what if I put my hand here and halfway down, I catch? those keys, would we say, oh that's that's a miracle. That's miraculous. Well the keys the keys didn't hit the floor, did they? No, and we understand that's not a miraculous. It's simply that I intervened in the natural process and did not allow the natural law to take its course. And in a similar way, that is a a very simple illustration, but in a similar way, a, a, a good way for us to understand the miraculous is sometimes God simply intervening in the natural course of life and history to bring to pass what otherwise would not take place. Now, I have another question to ask you. At the beginning, when we talked about Mary's question and she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel gave her a response, an explanation that was really not an explanation. It was an answer, but not an explanation of how it would take place. The question that I have for you is this. Do we really want to understand the explanation? Would we really want to know how? It all worked and how it all took place. It took me a long time when I was a, a, a young boy before I was able to talk my dad into revealing the secrets of his magic. Um, n- most of you Know my mom and dad, and you know that my dad has done what is sometimes referred to as gospel magic. It's just just illusions. It's sleight of hand. There's nothing magical or miraculous about it. it. They are tricks. I was probably four or five years of age when I started trying to convince my dad to reveal to me his secrets, how he could make something vanish seemingly into thin air and then make it appear somewhere else. And, of course, as a young, young boy, I would see what seemed to be impossible and think, Wow, how is that possible? Tell me, how does this work? And for a number of years, my dad would keep his secrets to himself, would not reveal to me any of the explanations, because, you see, he knew something that I did not understand at that age. In knowing the secret, there is a loss of mystery and a loss of wonder so that in seeing the same thing again if you know the explanation you know the reason why and you know how it all works there's no longer any of the wow factor left you understand it all you know how it works miracles are seen clearly but are shrouded in mystery does that make sense to you? Yeah. Miracles are seen clearly. When we see the miraculous, we we understand that something amazing has taken place, but yet... Shrouded in mystery, we don't uh, we don't understand how it works. A few examples from Scripture that that Jesus told us about things that are shrouded in mystery. We have the mystery of the new birth in John chapter three and verse eight. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says that it's that it's like the wind. You you can see the effects, you can hear the wind blow, yet you can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going. And that is like the mystery of the new birth you know that it's a reality you know that it's something real that really happens yet there's mystery we don't understand our position our future position in heaven is a mystery and will continue to be a mystery. You remember the story in Matthew chapter 20, how some of Jesus' disciples came to him and uh, asked him a favor, Jesus, would you grant to us that one of us could sit on your right hand and one on your left hand when you come into your kingdom? In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. In other words, only my Father, only the Father in heaven knows who will have what position and what role in heaven. What if we could know and discover now what our position was going to be in heaven when we got there. Think about that for just a moment. Some of us would be dissatisfied and discontent. Some of us would be endeavoring to enter into competition with others to strive to better ourselves and advance our future position in heaven beyond You know, whoever, the neighbor next door or the person sitting across the aisle from you. Some things need to remain a mystery. Another thing that Jesus said would be a mystery is the time of his second coming. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus before he ascended back into heaven, would he at this time? Uh, uh, establish his throne and his kingdom and and jesus said it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is placed under his own power under his own control what if we knew what if it was not a mystery we may think at times that we want to understand we want fully to know the explanation for things But friends, let me just assure you that what we would gain by a full explanation would be of less value than having the mystery. The mystery is far more valuable than what we would gain by understanding. Because you see, we don't ever want to lose the wow factor of our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Him. That is something that we always need to maintain. And Paul in Romans chapter 8 speaks a little bit about this. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, he says, Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now with all of these things, When we think about the miraculous and the mystery, the mystery that shrouds the miraculous, we have two options. We can wrestle or we can rest. We can wrestle or we can rest. In other words, we can continue trying to search the unsearchable. Oh, I've got to know, I've got to understand, I've got to have the answers. Or we can simply rest in the reality and believe that God's word is true, whether we know and understand it or not. And when we accept as reality the wonder of the mystery, we can continue to enjoy the wow factor of knowing and living in relationship with God. You see, it is in the wonder, in the, the wow. And that is, to me, that is so much of what Christmas is all about. I think of all the way back to the time as just as just a little boy, of the anticipation of Christmas, and the wonder, and the wow, and, and continuing, though it doesn't mean to me now what it used to mean to me then i continue to enjoy that some some vicariously through through uh, my children and through others and observing all that takes place at christmas time but then also trying to maintain that sense of wonder in my own heart and life as i contemplate the miraculous about christmas time you see without wonder without the wow factor there's no real worship we would never worship what we what we fully understood and could explain it is precisely those attributes and those features of god and about who he is that moves us to wonder wonder and worship it is what helps us maintain romance romance and intimacy with Jesus and if I could use the word persistence in other words it's what keeps us coming back what is it that causes a child to be so intrigued with the same things over and over again I was interested here a few days ago. Actually, it's always interesting and wonderful for our family when we find something that little Ivy will... that will capture her attention for longer than just a few seconds. And a couple days ago, we had some balloons and, and a, a foam a piece of maybe a pool, they call it a pool noodle. It's just a long piece of foam rubber. And um, she had a piece of that and was hitting the balloon just up in the air and just laughing and we got involved, a number of us got involved in playing with her and she was able to just revel in that repeated action. It was something that captured her attention and her imagination, and it kept her coming back for more. And friends, when we get to the point where we are bored and we lose interest, you, you no longer come back. You don't keep coming back. So that's one of the big reasons why we need, precisely we need to maintain a wow factor in our walk with the lord to keep us coming back and we might look around at the world that we live in and say there's you know there's so many flashing lights and so many gadgets and so much to to capture our attention and distract us in the world that we live in how can we maintain a wow factor in our walk with jesus friends i think it is it, it is through intentionally getting away from the distractions of this world, the flashing lights, the things that would capture our imagination and our attention, and focusing on Jesus and remembering the miraculous details about his birth and who he is and why he came, and spending those moments alone with our thoughts, about Jesus, and reminding ourselves how amazing and how miraculous it is. I'm glad for a faith that is reasonable. I believe that faith is reasonable. You know, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard me a number of times preach... Uh, and teach about apologetics, which is providing a defense for our faith. And I believe there are reasonable arguments that can be made that demonstrate there's good reason why we ought to believe. Yet, as someone once said, God has put enough in this world to make faith in him a reasonable thing, but he's left enough out to make it impossible for us to live by reason alone. And we cannot live by reason alone. Every once in a while, we need to contemplate and consider the miraculous and just say, I can't understand it. I don't understand the explanation. But wow, wow. You see, evidence is good, but it should always be secondary to the witness of the Spirit in our lives. In other words the reality that I have I, though I don't understand and I'm not able to explain it I have experienced something personally for myself and I know that it is true. little illustration just to close with suppose you are going to the office to see if your boss is in and as you walk Through the parking lot, you see his car in the parking lot. You stop on your way and ask at the secretary's desk if he's in, and she says, Yes, he's in. I just spoke with him. You walk up to the door, and you see the light from under his office door shining through. You may listen at the door for a moment and hear his voice on the other side as he speaks on the telephone. On the basis of all of this evidence, you have good grounds for concluding that he is indeed in his office. He's there. But if you chose to, you could go beyond this and do something quite different. You could go to the door and knock and meet him face to face. At that point, the evidence of the car in the parking lot the secretary's testimony the light under the door hearing his voice from behind the door all of that would still be valid but it would take a secondary role because now you've met him face to face and you know for yourself that he is there we have good reason to believe that jesus is real There's good evidence. Yet Jesus invites everyone into a personal and interactive relationship. As we read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. Friends, we can enjoy sweet fellowship with Jesus on a personal basis. We can know him for ourselves. We don't have to rely on the testimony of what the evidence says, though thank God there's good evidence. We can have a personal experience, praise God.